Hey, this is Steve Alton. You are here at my turning point with special guest Queen Herbie. Queen Herbie is someone I've been friends with for many, many years, and this is just a really fun conversation catching up with an old friend about everything from what it's like to have J Lo be a fan of hers to her fans in the K-pop world to her cosmetics line, so much more. This is a really great conversation with Queen Herbie. Hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. This year is such a mindfuck to everybody. It just is what it is, you know. It is what it is, but you like we you were the reason that I used to go out. So I can't imagine how it's how weird it's been for you because you're like the party guy. You know what's the funniest thing? Uh, this has been the, the strangest thing, but I haven't missed live music at all. I really actually have enjoyed, and I think it's because I just went out so much. Like I really have enjoyed the downtime. <laughs> like I, I just didn't like, and I was telling a friend yesterday, like you know, the whole thing of like you know, I used to go out all the time just because I could. That's right. not going to happen anymore. Like from now on, it's going to be when I go to shows, it's going to be stuff I want to see. Like I'm not yes. going to fucking see Sean Mendez anymore. You know, like you don't want to go nothing. to a hard, hard festival with me anymore. No, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. You know, like, and it's not that I don't like these things. It's just like, dude, I've moved on. You know, like I've been there, done that. It's like, you know what I miss? I miss bars. Totally, totally. I miss going into fucking bars and talking to random people while watching sports things and just talking to people that like, I miss, I miss randomness, you know? For and sure. shows weren't random. You go and you fucking run into the same fucking people you see all the time. And it's like, I agree. you know? So it's like, there's that randomness that comes from just like, you know, the unexpected of, of like going into a place where you don't know anyone or you're not there to see anyone, you know? So I miss that. But how are you doing? Oh, dude, we're fabulous. We found out this year that being being internet music people is actually really cool. It's really good, you know, because I haven't toured yet. I'm I was supposed to tour this year, but I know a lot of people that were in a lot worse situations, a lot more challenging situations, not being able to tour. Yeah, well, it's interesting too because uh, well, we'll come on to your turning point moment in a second, but it's funny because you know it, it's so interesting because. I talk about this with people all the time too. And it's like most artists feel though that they've really found a total new creative freedom because they haven't followed a particular cycle. So they've been able to enjoy a downtime, you know? So true. Wow. What a weird silver lining we're seeing now. Right. So what's your, what's your, what's your sort of, let's, let's start with your turning point moment and then we'll come on to, uh, you know, what it's like being an internet musician. And uh, it's so funny, by the way, because I literally just got done like 10 minutes ago interviewing Mike from I Incubus, Mike Geisinger. And we're talking about, you know, oh. me and his wife started a biology company, which is actually flowing into a cosmetics thing. But it all came from biology. I love that. Yeah. So what's, uh, so give me your turning point moment. What, what for you was, and it's funny because I feel like I've been there for a lot of them, you know? Right. But, <laughs> but you know, for everyone it's different. So I mean, and, and maybe that's not, you know, for sure. I'm going to say, this is just, I didn't really think about this ahead of time, but that's a good thing. Usually the first thing that comes to your mind is the best. Exactly. Uh, for me, it was actually a visit to an astrologer. You know, I'm into this astrology shit pretty deep. 
uh-huh. but it was a it was an astrologer that made me zoom out and stop thinking of it was like all about me. This was kind of a good age. I was at a good age. I want to say I was like 27 or 28 years old. And so this is about the time in your life when you start thinking about things other than just yourself. And I was like, why did I even get into music in the first place? And this was also around the time that my old pop band was trying to get out of Epic Records and we were trying to figure out what to do. Like, could we even make a sustainable career mentally, physically, energetically, financially, and then like, you know, kill the band, start this whole new entity, Queen Herbie. So I would say the astrology visit was the most crazy turning point because it just completely changed my perspective on things and allowed me to see a path forward that I, for some reason, could not see with my Christian upbringing. So what did the astrologist tell you? He, he was so commanding in the way that he spoke about like looking at my natal chart. So you give him your birth time and your location and all that information. They pull up this chart. That's like a circle with each specific location of every planet, the moment that you're born. So when you take your first breath, this is when they believe that the soul enters the body and you have this like destiny that's mapped out with a barcode. So he was telling me, you know, I see color, like you're supposed to be in design you know, music, anything creative, and you're supposed, you're going to want to do it yourself. And there was a bunch of really specific shit about like my mom having been my daughter in a past life. And when I told her this, she agreed, which was really strange. This is not a normal <laughs> conversation with my parents. Um, and my husband, Nick, was in the reading with me. And so it turned out he had a better chart for negotiating with L.A. Reed, who's a Gemini. So there was like this whole, he basically gave us the game plan for how to exit our major recording contract and start this path towards like me calling myself a queen, like putting myself first. It just kind of opened my mind up to um, the soul, like the human soul, right? And conversations about reincarnation are pretty much what we've been talking about all year. Why are we here? Why is this happening? And why are we so lucky, lucky to get to do music? Music is like the one most healing universal language we have in this, in this universe. And I get to do that and it feeds me. It puts food on the table. I've gotten to start, you know, the cosmetics line, like, so many ideas, but it all comes back to the music. And I guess now we just, we're all in this frame of mind that we chose this very specific body. And so this is like your vessel for your soul. Eventually it dies, unfortunately, but your soul never dies. As Pharrell says, no one ever really dies. Um, It's just given us so much more of a sense of purpose, which I think is important to survive in in the music business, which can be really difficult. So what'd you come up with in terms of of why you're so lucky to get to do this? And, and, you know, having this year to think about the past lives and the reincarnation and all that. And I'm distracted. My cat is just fucking wandering around, like looking for something to do. I love it. My dog is in my lap right now. Oh, you haven't seen Luna for so long. Your girlfriend. I know. I know. Look, there's your friend Steve. Were you having a nap? <laughs> oh, she's not having it. Okay. Um, yeah. Why? Okay. Well, I think 
your soul is basically the theory is that your soul keeps coming back into new bodies to have new experiences to complete itself. Because if you think of God or whatever you want to call it, source universe is always like the, the meaning of life is creation is to continue expanding and creating and improving. And the way that we do that is through experience. So I realized that I, my soul decided to be this white female making hip hop music. First of all, that was a whole, this year talked so much about that. We live downtown Los Angeles and there's, there's basically Black Lives Matter protests like once a week. So you can just hop outside and join them. Uh, and being in the forefront of that has taught me so much too. Cause I'm like, well, why, why did I blow up on the internet for rapping? I'm this white girl from Nebraska uh, but I do believe that my soul chose these very specific times and um, specific settings to carry out my mission, which is now something I've incorporated into my music in these final EPs. We just started working on an album, Steve. My first album is Queen Herbie. Nice. So how far along are you working on It's so funny to think of that as the first album. There's been, what, nine EPs in total? So you've already released so much music. <laughs> So much music and it's such a blessing. I used to be, I mean, the label told me you have to like have your one hit song, right? Or maybe two, maybe three hit songs. I'm like, I have so, we have so many ideas. Nick is so creative. Our buddy, Steve, who produces all the music with us. I mean, we, we could really be making a song a week if we wanted to. So now that we're on TikTok, which was something I resisted for a long time, TikTok has really blown up and been a vehicle to get new listeners, like younger listeners. And now my Spotify is like tripled just from like basically me performing my little segments of my songs on TikTok now. So I'm glad I have the catalog. If people land on my Spotify, it's not like, oh, they can listen for 10 minutes. Now they have 50 some songs to enjoy and get into my world. Is it really that many damn songs? Nine EPs, five songs a piece. I'm not good at math, but that's 45. 45, yeah. Thank you. Um, a couple of random projects, and then we did like some live performances. So yeah, it's probably like 50 tracks. That's crazy, because it's so much material. I mean, it's funny. Do you feel like this year you've had, you know, because you were supposed to tour this year, but again, coming down to the sort of double-edged swords and, and the mixed blessings, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. would you have so, would you have so much music if you had been able to tour this year? I don't think so. And I also think we are, we are now at a point where we would need a bigger venue, which is really good for like budgeting. Like if you, for, for me as the queen, I want my show to be somewhat spectacular. And we were at a point where we were going to do like 300 seaters. We might be closer to like 500 or 750 now. And if we wait a few more months, it might be like House of Blues all of a sudden. And those venues are, that starts to be really fun. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny. So the, the TikTok thing that you really are seeing, like, so, so was there sort of a moment for you this year where you started to see the audience shift and you started to see it grow almost like exponentially? Yes. I would say it was a couple months after... We dropped EP8 like at the worst time. I want to say it was March or June. It was the summer. It was rough. Like people were very distracted. Streaming dropped overall, right? Streaming dropped like 20% because people weren't going to the gym. They weren't going to work. 
driving in their car. Like nobody was consuming music like they used to. So everybody was scared. Obviously, like look what happened to Live Nation. I mean, it's fucking crazy out here. But actually, I want to say like three weeks ago, our song, the one that you wrote a lyric on, (laughs) Sugar Daddy, Sugar Daddy is having like some viral movement in Southeast Asia. So that's really exciting. And it's like some, you can't even control it. You just sort of watch it. Like some guy from BTS used it in, a, in his Instagram or something. And now like that part of the world, I'm getting emails from Apple that are like, your song is being Shazammed in Brazil. It's trending. And you just sit back and watch it happen. That's awesome because you know what? Actually, I was just looking through email and Jeff emailed me in October for a W9. And I'm like, eh, what? I, I still haven't emailed him back for like, I'm, I'm not a paperwork person, but now, okay, cool. So when I finally do get royalty checks well, on it. Well, don't worry, you know, we got you. Yeah. No, I just, I, I mean, he right. emailed me in October, but yeah. It'll be, it'll be checkbook records and it's not going anywhere. Like you don't have to worry about it, but we should get it sorted because you're technically a writer now. No, I like that. It's so funny, by the way, too. I mean, it's, it's, and it is, it's, but that's like the best kind of thing. I mean, it's funny. So when it even happened initially, did you have any idea that someone from BTS used it? And I mean, that's such a crazy fucking phenomenon. I remember being at the AMAs maybe three, four years ago. It might've even been the year I saw you there. I don't remember. I lose all track of time. And it was such a funny thing because it's like, so that was the year Diana Ross was being honored. Diana Ross, yes. if you want to talk about a queen, right? You know, you were talking, I mean- you know, an absolute queen of music. And it's like, and there were a bunch of big people nominated. And I admit, I was totally ignorant on the K-pop phenomenon. And then every single time, BTS, I was there with Monica. And every single time the name BTS would be said, the whole building would literally shake. And Correct. we had like, we're like, what is this? What's going on? And it was just from the noise and everything. So it's like, I mean, have you ever met them, dealt with them? Or was it just the most random thing where they just like the song and they're like, cool. Exactly. No, never met them. Don't know any of them. I'm sure they're wonderful. Apparently they like sugar daddies, so I'm down <laughs> for it. A couple weeks prior, Jennifer Lopez used one of my other songs in her Instagram, which is like, it just makes you wonder, how does Jennifer Lopez stumble across an independent artist, you know, release that's just like, feels so random. Like what intern works for her, right? That was playing the song or how did that get to her? And then she used it in her story and it just exploded and you see these miniature viral explosions my manager has all these graphs and charts he's so into it um but it's it's definitely really it just makes me want to put more songs out steve because that means there's more opportunities it's almost like buying lottery tickets and the better you are at writing a great song that connects with people the more powerful those lottery tickets are well you know what i also like about this though too is one it's totally organic so that's nice so now Obvious question, just for you mm-hmm. as a fan, who would be the dream person to put a Queen Herbie song in one of their Instagram stories? Ooh. Well, obviously, just because your hoodie is just speaking to me today, I would say Billie Eilish. That would be incredible. Her whole aesthetic, just the way that she carries herself and the energy and her sense of humor, I think it would be so magical. No, she is awesome. I love her. I love Finn. It's funny. I'm thinking though, for some, I, I think in terms of going viral and in terms of credibility, as much as I love Billy and Finn, I cannot think of anybody who would carry more clout to put your music in a story than Beyonce. Wow. That would be mind blowing. Yeah. She would be up there. 
I, I feel mean, like that's in really different podcasts, he's probably the ultimate tastemaker. You're probably right. Maybe Rihanna is up there. Yeah. Yeah. Because she always, she's always been a really strong A&R. Like, she finds records. She'll even take, like, the Tame Impala record and just record her vocals on it and put it out. And that was, I feel like, before Tame Impala was Tame Impala. She, she was like, here it is on the anti-album. So it's interesting for you, though. It's funny. So what was, by the way, what was the Jennifer Lopez song? that, that uh, What was the Jennifer Lopez one? She, she used my song called Who Is She?, which is just like this cute little, it was like a little summer bop. And again, it wasn't, we didn't, we don't really promote our music besides putting it on my YouTube or tweeting it out. So it's just really crazy that she found it. I, I mean, when you, it's so funny because I talk about this people all the time, right? And it's like, when you get the respect of your peers, you know, talk about what that means. So when you get the attention that comes from being in a BTS or Jennifer Lopez story, talk about what that means in terms of just simply that, you know, <laughs> like you say, it's not like you're soliciting them. So they're right. just, uh, they're just finding it as fans. And what does that mean right. versus like, and it's so funny too, because like, you know, going back to the Epic thing and it's like, see, you could bust your ass on a label. So it's so funny how this is all coming so full circle too. Cause yesterday mm-hmm. I ran a story on Forbes with my friend, uh, Emily from dead Sarah, who, if you remember, they left Epic the same time you did. And when they got off there, I remember her response was, Oh my God, thank fucking God. <laughs> It is really wild. And we're a little bit, we've always been, we've always been like pioneer energy. We don't like to do things like everybody else. So don't get it twisted. Still a label is going to get you the most promotion. But for some people who like to do everything themselves, it's just, um, it's just more fun. We're shitheads. We like to do things different. We like to be on top of the curve. Like if something new, for example, um, my manager is now being called by major labels to be like, there's their TikTok guy. So it's like, if I were to sign to a label now, they, I would be working with my own manager because they, they basically just want their artists to blow themselves up on TikTok. They're like, the only way we can make your song blow up is if you blow it up on TikTok yourself. So it's definitely wrote, it's, it's definitely the tables have turned and I feel like we jumped ship like really early so we could like build a different ship. <laughs> See, that's so funny. I go back to the O2, and it's not to sit here and rag on the labels. They have a lot of friends who work at labels and a lot of good people still For in the sure. industry. But it's like, my question then, and I've talked about this all the years I did Grammy Camp. So why, for example, if the only way for a song to become a hit is for you to blow it up yourself, why would you do all the work and then turn around and fucking sign to a label? It's I, I use the right. deal of like, okay, basically, you know, it, it's like if you're dating, right? And you spend all this money on a meal and you take it all out and you know, you have a great night and all this, and then someone else gets the booty call. I mean, then, you know, <laughs> right. it's, it's like, okay, cool. So basically you basically you're, you're fucking, you know, like, or, or using a baseball analogy, you're the starting pitcher. You're pitching a complete game, no hitter for eight innings. And they bring in a relief pitcher to finish off your no hitter. It just doesn't to make sense. Game. Right. No, that's on you. At that point it's on you. So we, we feel really, we feel really grateful that we were able to, I don't know, make, a little bit of money because because also without that major label experience i don't think we would know everything that we know we wouldn't understand the inner workings of the business i saw chance the rapper video that one of my friends posted where he was explaining the difference between publishing and master and a lot of people just don't understand how money is made in the music business and that's something we had to face head on and now it's to the point where like we are sending checks out to our collaborators. Like everything comes to us and checkbook records now 
is paying royalties. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Nice. But let's take this into music because I don't want to just talk about music industry because that's very, well, it's funny because it's not boring for a lot of people who are fascinated with it, but it also doesn't Mm -hmm. tie into the creativity. And it's like, you know, talk about the, but it's, I I guess the question would be tying it in is, you know, the level of fun you're able to have being able to do the stuff you want to do and not answering to a label because it's like, if you want to do a song like sugar daddy, whatever, whatever it is Mm -hmm. you want to do, if you want to do a Caribbean favorite thing, if you want to do a, you know, there is no one to answer to. Right. That's, that's been the best. That's part you forget about a lot because once you're into the game independent, you're always like looking for the next right move because basically you are compete. Like we are competing with all artists out there. I mean, you're basically just competing for people's Spotify time and attention. So we're always, um, we're always a little stressed and a little focused on promotional stuff, but the creative definitely takes priority. And as our team gets bigger too, we don't have to focus on that stuff as much. Well, so it's interesting for you. I mean, what have been like, you know, going through this year then and a couple of the sort of moments where you've, where you felt that creative freedom the most and you feel like it's so funny. I'm getting distracted because I'm seeing Luna walking away in the background, but um, <laughs> she's like, you that, you guys. <laughs> yeah, like I'm bored now. Yeah. Where you get that <laughs> feeling where it's like, Okay. Like, I mean, basically sort of the, the, you know, sort of creative high points for you in this year, those songs that you mm. feel like, and it's funny because I'll use this like, right. Okay. So you're getting into making an album, right? As I right. talk about with artists all the time, you have moments that you hit upon that sort of become the building blocks. Yeah. So what, what songs for you have been the building blocks for the album? I would say all of EP nine for me was transformative because I decided that I was going to be a brilliant lyricist. I hate writing lyrics. It's my least favorite thing. It's the most challenging thing. But I was like, just get the fuck out of your own way and just write like write it until it's like undeniable. And the, the content, the concepts of EP9 was everything I was going through this year, like transforming into this better version of myself, dealing with white supremacy and like facing that white fragility and all those topics, like seeing America for what it is. We, uh, I ha- we have a song called sleepwalker. That's just so important. It was such an important statement for me to make as an artist. And then one called farewell. That was my story of like, when you look in the mirror and realize that you are a different person now, like it's, it's really powerful shit. But I would say my favorite creative moment turning point is actually happening right now because this whole last week, Steve, we've just been listening to classic albums. Like I want to say three days ago, we played one of the queen albums and I was just crying. And I was like thinking to myself, I think I've arrived to the point where I can fully immerse myself in my own creativity because I am so vulnerable in this moment. I'm hearing the way Freddie is singing and like the, all the risks that they took, they were so dramatic. That band was so dramatic and everybody, like a lot of people hated them for this, but it was so free. Like we are the champions is fucking crazy. It's a masterpiece. We just finished a Bee Gees documentary. That was really good. I didn't know anything about the Bee Gees, their whole story. They were like loved and hated and loved and hated. And like, then they just wrote songs for other people and then they were hated. And it's just like, oh my God. Um, just enjoying right now. We're just really enjoying what has already been done 
creatively and music. And then we're going to step in and start recording this album. See, that's really interesting to me, going back to the lyricist thing as a writer. So is there one passage, one moment on, on EP9 where you feel like, you know, where you just are like, okay, this is my proudest moment as a lyricist. Like one lyric you look back on and you're like, that was it. I can't, yeah, I can't name a specific lyric, but I would say the Sleepwalker lyric. Let me see. I'm like singing it in my head. But that song is pretty crazy. Let's see. I mean, the chorus is too bad. Some people like to sleep tucked in the American dream. I woke up late and had to see nightmares on every city street. Some things that make me want to scream can't wake you, make you want to see silence is violence and defeat, but you just lay quiet in the sheets. That was like, I was like, shit. I wanted to make this little trap bounce song like super fun and like party. And I was like, no, this is about white supremacy. <laughs> well, so that was a big step for me. I, I read a whole bunch of books this year about it. Cause I did, I just, yeah, I didn't know how to communicate this, especially in a song that has like my queen sound. And so that was the birth of that. I was like, okay, we can go as deep as we want to and still remain authentic to the sound. Well, you know, what's interesting about that, though, as well is, you know, and obviously we've talked a lot about your upbringing and like you mentioned coming from Nebraska, you know, and Nick coming from Maine and, you know, without getting too deep into it. But it's like, I think for a lot of people, this was really sort of a year where you had to confront, you know, the stuff that you've grown up with and your family things and all that. And it's like I was talking with, uh, who the fuck was I talking with yesterday? I remember what I was talking with a friend about it yesterday. And it's like, well, actually, I was talking about Monica and we're talking about, you know like growing up, right? You know, because older generations dealt with so much racism. Right. You know, oh, we were talking about the term shiksa because, you know, growing up Jewish, I, I jokingly use that term all the time. And right. she was saying she had watched a show where they used it. Like, for example, it's in Mrs. Mizell because it's not really a racist term. But, you sure. know, I remember growing up and seeing my dad, uh, my grandfather's friend use the song or use the term schwarza, which is one of the nastiest fucking words that you can use in the world. So it's interesting for you, you know, to, to, do you, do you feel like you had sort of a reckoning with this, this year dealing with the, like, you know, like you say, awakening to it. For sure. Because I am a white woman making black music. There's like all these cultural nuances that have, I mean, they're mostly America, American nuances, but, um, for example, being a woman, I'm obviously inferior to a man in society. So I automatically go to like this vulnerable victim place, but also being in, in hip hop and rhythm and blues, it's like, I never understood how important it was to be able to communicate about this. Cause this is going to be an ongoing thing. Like I would say at least 10 years of people like myself doing daily anti-racism work before things are actually starting to change in a meaningful, in a meaningful way. So it was, it was a lot of, um, a lot of crazy shit because I've, I've definitely been accused of cultural appropriation and I stayed completely silent on the matter. And I'm a fairly good communicator and I would assume I would consider myself a good person. And a lot of us feel like we're good white people because we're not racist. Of course I'm not racist. I, I have black friends and make black music, but that's actually more dangerous if you're not ready to 
just actively take a role in changing it. So that was a huge, that was a huge step for me on every level. And then after that, I was able to, I, I found that it opened up lyrics for the rest of my project. So that's so interesting. Do you feel like then, because obviously, look, this year has been a transformative year. And one of the things I've talked about with so many people is where people will go from 2020. But so do you mm. feel like this sort of new social consciousness will now be more incorporated into lyrics going forward? For sure. Steve, now I can't even write a song if it doesn't have some kind of a meaning. I used to feel like Sugar Daddy might be like the song of next summer or something. And it's, it is an important song. But guess what I'm doing now? I'm reading books about sex workers. I'm trying to understand the, the nuances, the cultural nuances of sex work and what that means, because I wrote the song sort of like as a storyteller. I've never been a sugar baby. I've never received payment for accompanying someone or sexual favors of any kind. So now I'm like, shit, I'm being forced to learn these things and learn to communicate them through my art. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, so, so what have been the things you've, well, it's funny then, because you also, I need to figure out then how you can work with Michelle and Faye on Tote Project too. Exactly. What have been the biggest things that you've learned in doing this and, and the things that you've really come away with, you know, because again, it is, it's, it's, I mean, you know, even you look at that New York Times story that ran not long ago on Pornhub and thankfully that Nicholas Kristoff piece was actually able to make a dip. As soon as that piece ran, they were like, oh no, shit, our bad. We didn't know all this was happening. Yeah, fuck you. Of course you did. You just got caught. So crazy, right? It's just so much. And coming from a Christian household, I have a lot of like sexual, um, um, what's the word? I have a lot of things I have to dig like uproot from my own upbringing too. Like I was afraid of sex. I was told it was wrong. You know, it was like, you're going to hell. It's like, whoa, this is, this is some controlling shit. Yeah. So then it must have been a big wide opening, a big awakening, eye-opening awakening to come into the music industry. <laughs> oh, babe. It was like, yeah. And strangely enough, people back home just assume that like I got swallowed by this monster and there's nothing I could have done about it. But really, I've been choosing each step along the way, like how much I want to continue to liberate myself. So there are some people that don't believe the Queen Herbie character, for example. They're like, this is not really who she is. It's like, just give me permission to be an artist. Let me like find my way. And hopefully I'm empowering people along the way to do the same. Because I still see a lot of that suppression in even my closest friends. I'm like, babe, you can let that go. You can be, you can be more free. And I think this is the new earth that 2020 is giving birth to. Or like, it's opened the door. It's also interesting, though, that you refer to it as the Queen Herbie character. So is it a character? It started as a character, for sure. And I think what I, the same thing that I do with my music is I find, like, when I grew up, I listened to Brandy. So I was like, I want to be a singer, and I want to sing like Brandy. So what I do is I imitate Brandy until I'm to a point where I feel like I can hang. And then I grasp on to the next thing. Okay, I want to be a uh, like I have a painting of Kanye above my desk. It's like, okay, he was on the 808s and Heartbreaks and the Dark Twisted Fantasy album. He was being an artist. Okay, now I want to be this artist, but what does it take? So then I grasp and mimic until I get to that next level. It never ends up sounding like Brandy or sounding or looking like Kanye when it's you, but 
when I made Queen Herbie, I basically created this character of who I wanted to be. And this whole, the last three years, I've just been doing things to essentially become her. So the goal would be by this album, um, I will have completed this cycle and become queen. But, so who is the queen to you? That's fascinating. I, I've been researching also what makes a good queen. We've been watching The Crown on, is that on HBO or Netflix? Oh my God. Netflix. Netflix. The British, the British monarchy. It's like, what? So I think across all of time and history, a great queen has, first of all, it's a lifelong commitment. It's not like a job that you keep for like five years. Like you have to be a queen forever. Um, and there's just so many things. It's like, you have to be, you have to listen more than you speak. And um, it takes a lot of compassion and boundaries and like the ability to organize and find people that are good at things that you're not good at and have them do things. It's like, it's a very interesting orchestration. So I think I'm, I think I'm almost there. Once we get on tour and I can get another, get my bearings on the world. Cause now we're just in this apartment all the time. Then I'll know if I've arrived. So that's fascinating too. this. So, so, you know, beyond the queen in, you know, in, in the crown and beyond, you know, being queen of England, when you think of people who, you know, we talked about Beyonce, we talked about Rihanna, when you think of people who have that queen sort of energy, you know, and, and, you know, again, you mentioned queen, the band that it's like, well, Freddie was very much a king, you know? Yes. So who are those people for you? Not just in music, but in general who have that sort of like, it's funny because I talk about this, like, I, I mean, look, I've interviewed everyone, as you know, to me, the most famous person I've ever interviewed is Bono. Is he more famous than Tom Cruise or, yeah. you know, like Mick Jagger? Maybe, maybe not. But the thing that made Bono different was he carries himself like Apollo, he carries himself like royalty. Like he walks in, there's just a presence Correct. that is just different. So for you, who are, who are those people or who have been those people who, yeah. who possess that, you know? And obviously, of course, I was lucky enough to get to interview Aretha, you know? Yeah, I would have to say for me, it's gonna be, it's gonna be Oprah Winfrey. I don't even have to say her last name. No, um, because she. Wow. I mean, I've read all her books. Well, you could have been referring to Oprah Jones. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> never name your child Oprah. It's just not a good. It's it's not gonna work out. Um, <laughs> Oprah is yeah. She's she's my fave. I pretend to have meetings with her in my head sometimes. I know someday we'll meet. You know. <laughs> but um, she is one of my favorites. I would say I always admire Kanye. I know he's a very um, divisive character at times, but he, that vulnerability and that chaos in his artistry is something that I'm, I've just always been horny for. And then I would say, um, who's my other? Oh, Walt Disney. Also controversial. Some people are like, anti-Semitism. It's like, I've read a lot of books about this guy and I don't know. He's just what he built. The fact that he's dead and now he owns star Wars and Marvel, like <laughs> and sports. I just don't, I just can't think of somebody who's built a bigger empire and spread so much like happiness and cheer, despite I know the controversy, but something I've learned about the universe too, is the nature, the law of the universe is that as big and wonderful as you are, there has to be a balance. And that's why we see it all the time with celebrities too. You love them, you hate them. It's got to be, there's got to be some, in order for this to exist, this has to exist, you know? 
Yeah. But it's funny because then when you go to, and you know how I feel about Kanye, I've never been shy about that. For sure. And especially after this year, but it's interesting because you go to Oprah mm-hmm. and it's like, but there's no one who doesn't like her. I know, I know a few people who don't like her. I think it's men who feel challenged by her, which is fine. You know, they're all working out their own, their own things, but yeah, she's, I wanted her to be president to be honest, but I don't think she has time for it. She's got other shit she wants to do. Well, also you have to be crazy to want to be president. And I don't think she's that crazy. I think you're right. So, so by the way, in your meetings in your head with Oprah, like what, what do you discuss? <laughs> like what, what's, you know, like give me the first couple, you know. Oh, I've also watched all of her commencement speeches. She gives speeches at like colleges or she used to, I don't know if she does anymore. Um, she always has such good advice. My favorite advice from Oprah was um, you have to cure yourself of the disease to please. She said that's the most dangerous thing is, is trying to please others and not putting yourself first. That was a huge challenge for me, um, especially in the Carmen days. And uh, her other thing that I always think about is what is the next best move? Because sometimes I get overwhelmed with everything that's happened. As an indie artist with her own label, her own cosmetics line, like it gets really chaotic and there's days when I really can't even think straight. And I just think of Oprah saying, what is the next best move? Just pick one step that you know will get you to where you want to be and take it one step at a time. So that's, those are my favorite, favorite Oprah advice. Oprah-isms. Now it's interesting Oprah-isms. too though. We'll, we'll wrap up in a minute, but I think one thing that's interesting too is, right? When it comes to the cosmetics line, because I've talked about this with so many people you know, and obviously I've done the story with you and Audrey on the, uh, for Forbes and everything. It's so interesting because when you have that divergent interest, it does fuel back into the music and it does fuel into the creativity. And also I think the thing that int- intrigued me about, look, especially for an indie artist, having a successful startup, I mean, talk about how the cosmetics line has allowed you to be able to continue making music and do that because when it started to become successful, I mean, cause again, you weren't working with like major label money to go and make these EPs. So from a practical standpoint, I'm sure that, you know, the cosmetics line, I mean, was a big thing. It was a really, yeah. We were like, where can we put some investment that's going to mature in like five years. We're not even looking at like right now, it's still like, I'm still just investing in the cosmetics. It's like not a huge income source for me. I'm like, okay, I want to build a brand that's meaningful. And there's a lot to figure out kind of like the music business. When you're doing cosmetics, you're you're learning how to work with a chemist and formulations and ingredients and the FDA and the European, uh, you know, standard for ingredients and then dealing with shipment and we all of a sudden have support from BoxyCharm, which is a really amazing company that does subscription boxes of like beauty products. And it's, it basically allows you to get your product into brand new hands in like the multitudes. Like you have a way bigger reach and then all of a sudden you have new customers that are fans of your product because they've actually tried it. So that like, for example, one of those campaigns is going out next year and it's like this box with my face on it. And so I'm seeing some interesting crossover, like people finding the music through the cosmetics and, but it's also taking on this life of its own, which is what I like to see. All right. So what's the next step then in the Queen Herbie empire? The next step in the Queen Herbie empire, this next coming year, our goal is, what did we say? We said hype and drama. 
So one thing we've always been about is like make great products, make great music. And we haven't really, like, I'm not comfortable. I haven't been in the past comfortable promoting myself. Like the other day we did a post on Instagram with a Lamborghini. Like sometimes your audience really wants to be entertained and they want to see you living your best life. And for a while I struggled with this because I was like, this is not me but we do make fun of it all the time. So now it's become like this sort of game of how ridiculous can we be um, in commanding this like theme of self-worth and confidence and self-care. And cause I do think after this year, people are going to need to feel their oats. They're going to need to feel powerful cause it's going to be a recovery process after the 2020 pandemic. And, you know, there's going to be some economic issues right probably for a couple years and I just want to remind people that they can literally manifest the life of their dreams regardless of what's happening Um, but that's that's what's next is now like amplifying that up which is going to help with promotion obviously TikTok has helped so much it's just continuing to make it bigger and better all the time you know it's interesting because I think back to you know as you put it, your former pop band, which I guess, you know, doesn't have a name anymore. But it's funny because, you know, obviously there was a lot we talked about in the video elements and it's like, you know, there were some crazy videos, right? Mm-hmm. And with Queen Herbie being a character, I mean, could we ever see like a Queen Herbie movie? Wow, that would be such an adventure. I think someday they'll probably want to tell... We'll see how it goes. They'll probably want to tell my life story because it has been real interesting. And I think a lot of people are intrigued when I tell it. And it's funny how you know this because you're a writer, like the story changes over time. It becomes more interesting and rich and you're able to look back and have 2020 hindsight and say, oh, that's why we, this happened. So I think um, I would love that to happen, but probably not for like 10 or 20 years. No, but I was referring to the idea, not necessarily a biopic, but Queen Herbie, like, you know, it's mm. funny because I'm thinking of like, a, you know, like, I don't know, like a Foxy Brown or like a gold member or just like with Queen Herbie as the actual character. I love that. I should start doing like some castings. They used to call me in for roles, but I was too scared. <laughs> but they wanted me to play somebody else. I see that. You're right. I should be playing Queen Herbie like as herself. That's yeah, it. Like That's as a I'm character. Doing. I'll be adding this to the list. <laughs> I think that would be so good. But it starts with social media, doesn't it? It's like you have to be, you have to show them what it is before it becomes a thing. Right. But at the same time, you actually have to have like a story worth telling, you know? True. So like it has to True. be in social media. The thing is everything is so, I don't know, everything a fucking 40 seconds or 30, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't think social media is a building block for movies. I would agree. I would agree. Maybe a TV show. Everything is, is, I don't even, it's it's, it's like a, it's not even, it's not even a building block for an SNL sketch because it doesn't last that, like nothing (laughs) is fleshed out. Everything is like, you know, this, 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 you know, versus like, you know, if you have, when you think about like, uh, I don't know, like the kid in Purple Rain. Wow. I was just listening to that album today. Crazy. But I mean, when you think about the kid in Purple Rain, it's like, you know, and that was obviously Prince, but it was a character. Mm-hmm. You know, what would there have been, there would have been no social media that could have paved the way for that. I agree. But see, it happened at the perfect time in history. And that's why I think it's good to have these goals, but 
I've been on TikTok like three months now and I have half a million followers. It's, it's changing so fast. Like that's more than I have on Instagram for the last like 10 years. It's just happened so quickly. And it, have you spent any time on TikTok? Fuck no. Thank you for being honest. Some people are like, oh yeah. No, I'm like, you haven't done it. It is a very honest platform and it's, it's forcing me kind of like the astrology visit, forcing me to change the way I'm looking at content. You know, it's so funny. I was actually just having, so yesterday, uh, a good friend of mine who I adore posted on her Instagram stories, Rolling Stone did a thing about uh, TikTok music blogs. Okay. And I was like, no, I was like, and and again, (laughs) it's funny because like, no, the, I, I think, you know, maybe they're brilliant. I don't know. I haven't spent time on there, but what I do know is that I use this as a reference point. The 2000 word, six page piece I did with Courtney Love for Mojo interview. You're yep. not going to find that on TikTok and people I are know. dumb enough as it is now the, 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 the numbing of attention, but you know, a blog on TikTok to me is like, I don't know. I, I mean, what does it even you know, look it, like? It, I don't even know what that looks like. It's like a eating a fucking Dorito for dinner and calling that a meal, you know, like one Dorito, <laughs> not even a bag of Dorito. It's like eating a that. Dorito. It's like, it's, it's like eating a Dorito and doing a line of Coke and saying, okay, cool. Now I've eaten for the day. That was like my, my college diet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is crazy, Steve, but I hate, I hate to tell you this, but you, if there is somebody to do that, it's you on TikTok. If you ever decide, look, I, my manager had to make a PowerPoint presentation to convince me to make TikToks. And when I did, my streaming tripled. But see, you have to promote yourself. I don't need to. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to be here. Right. I don't know what that means for a writer. All I know is it brought abundance into my life. And I, I'm still shocked. I still don't understand it, but it's important. I That's think great, the, the kids I mean, are, you know, are saying this is how, right. Yeah. And that's all cool. You know, and I, I don't judge it for other people. I judge it for me, but I do judge the idea yeah. of journalism on TikTok. You know, I do yeah. because I guarantee, <laughs> I guarantee fucking see you that there are not 2000 word pieces in there. You know, there is no more than like, you know, this shit's cool. Right. It would be, it would be like an advertisement for, your website that has 2000 word pieces. That's what it would have to be, I guess. Although most people at this point can't write a 2000 word piece. Most people can't even guess what they do. They watch my 30, they watch my 30 second TikToks and they click on my, my link and they stream my music, which is long. It's 50 some songs. People are in my, in my Spotify for hours. So there it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like putting the, the Dorito and the cocaine bag at the end of like a fishing hook. (laughs) And <laughs> just pulling them into like the bigger thing. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. I, I do know this though, that when the queen Herbie gets made, there just needs to be a scene with someone doing a bump of Coke on a Dorito. Great. Cool. Ranch. That'll be, can you, do you mind doing that? <laughs> no, not at all. Wait, isn't that the guy? That's the guy that wrote the, that's the guy that wrote the oysters line. <laughs> I just, you know, again, when we talk, it's creative, you know? But I that's feel it. Like that's We're just key. brainstorming. Well, I mean, it's not going to be better than, you know, I mean, not, not that the film, but, you know, but I mean, Woody Allen did have, and again, you want to talk about a controversial figure. Good God. Woody Allen was, 
But think about having Paul Simon doing a bump of Coke in the 70s. You know, what a great scene that is. <laughs> I wish they invented time travel because I really want to go. Yeah, I really want to go back. Like even the way they wore their hair, like watching the Bee Gees documentary, I was like, damn, these guys didn't give a fuck. No, and it's funny. There was though, no TikTok. Again, they're, they're, they're one of the greatest bands of all time, unquestioned. And look how hated they were. You know? Insane. I mean, and, and again, it's like, and, and no question, if you know anything about music, no question, one of the greatest bands of all time. Wow. You know? But again, for a lot of people, it's like all they knew was disco and disco sucks and all, you know, whatever. But now, again, this is the thing that we can always go off in a million different directions. But, you know. Right. So, so what's timeline for the album to come out? Is there one? I mean, we're really flirting with um, like second quarter next year. So like June, I know Nick is pushing for earlier and it's all going to depend on when they say we can tour. Cause we would love to line it up with a tour, but I've heard some people say 2022. So we may just like drop it when we feel like it. Um, but yeah, we're hoping it's going to have like a couple of singles. We're going to just do a traditional rollout. Um, and I have a lot of writing to do still. So if you have any more lyric ideas, can you please text me? <laughs> I mean, it just depends on hanging out with the right people. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, so last one, by the way, though, too, well, um, I'm just curious, like for you, who would be, because again, you know, like when you talk about your music goes in so many directions, who would be the dream person for you to tour with in terms of someone that you think would be a good match? Cause I'm trying to think of like someone who's really sort of in the queen Herbie vein and there's no one really that kind of has your distinct, you know, mm. that does make it really difficult. Um, because I also love a lot of different kinds of music. Like I wish I could just go on tour with John Williams, the composer, but that doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, <laughs> he could just play like the Harry Potter theme, you know, I wonder if he would open for me. Just kidding. Um, well, I, obviously I love all of the girls that have been topping the chart this summer. So Doja Cat is extremely creative and interesting. I know she took Ash Nico out on tour with her, who's also really, really talented. So those girls would be, that would be a dream collab and tour. And then obviously Meg Thee Stallion. Like I've loved her since before, before she was, the top artists in the world. So I think any of the female, like, cause I'm always just a big advocate for female rap. So any female rappers would be incredible, but I also like love Amine, who's uh, this super creative artist. I love Masego. I love like the people that get into jazz a little bit. Cause it's sort of like, I make music with trap beats, but it's got this like interesting jazzy, like, I don't know, almost orchestral, like classical, vibe so it could be anybody honestly but maybe doja cat would be like perfect i don't know I, I like the idea though of meg though only because i've interviewed her and met her and she takes her dogs everywhere so i feel like it would be really fun because it would be like a she was joking about the fact that she even takes her dogs to the club and i'm like well, what does your dog think of the club she's like she hates the club she doesn't front you know but it's like <laughs> i like the idea of then of you guys going on to a gary and luna and <laughs> her dog dog yeah Oh, I became friends with this girl, Melanie Martinez, also who has the same kind of dogs as Meg. I forget what they are, Frenchies? And so Melanie Martinez would be so much fun. Like I saw her show in LA before the shutdown. It was unbelievable. 
And she's quirky and weird and eccentric. It really is at the end of the day all about the dog. It is. It's like, who has good... Two Chains has a dog he brings everywhere. That would work. Cool. What do you want to add we didn't talk about? Shit. I feel like that was everything. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been listening to My Turning Point with Queen Herbie. Thanks. People ask me, people ask me all the time, how you doing that? How, how you doing that? People ask me, people ask me all the time, how you doing that? Bust rhyme. When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theicenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.